This holiday season, many people are celebrating either evil or the Reformation. Take your pick, especially on today. Release date of this episode, Happy Halloween, ha 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 ha. But it may help to remember Martin Luther's reminder that even the devil is God's devil. And yet, said Satan is still prowling the earth looking for souls to steal. We know people don't think the devil exists, yet even some Christians act like they are materialists who ignore the threat of real demonic deception. Marion Jacobs, author of that forthcoming book we have mentioned about fictional magic versus real magic, rejoins our studio to engage today's real threats from real witchcraft. Welcome back to Fantastical Truth, the non-witchy, Bible-pursuing podcast from lorehaven.com in which we explore fantastical stories for God's glory. I'm E. Steamer Burnett, and not only do I publish Lorehaven, but I'm the co-author of The Pop Culture Parent. And I'm Zachary Russell, and I am currently hating all Halloween decorations. Yes, you know who you are that made the zombie graveyard. And this is episode 186, Does the Devil Deceive People into Real Witchcraft? And I am sitting virtually next to our guest, Marion Jacobs. Welcome, Marion. Hey, guys. Yeah, I'm Marion Jacobs, and I obviously write for Lorehaven, but I also am writing a book for B&H about magic, the uh, theology of magic, I should say, and how that applies to discerning fictional magic. So I've been doing a lot of studying about the occult and the new age lately. Marion has fallen down the YouTube rabbit hole of testimonials from folks who have escaped this spiritual darkness. But in the meantime, Marion, you're not just watching videos for this project. Uh, do you have one of those little uh, bar meters that all the writer types put up on their social media that shows like word count completed? And if so, what's the approximate percentage there if you're willing to give that away? Uh, you're referring to my book? Yes. I'm almost half. Almost half. That's marvelous. That is marvelous, especially because this is due out. Do we say the exact time that you're expected to release the actual book itself? The actual book release won't be until July 1st of 2025. I'm turning the manuscript in uh, July 1st, 2024. Okay. okay. So we'll look forward to that. And of course, uh, Fantastical Truth Lorehaven will be uh, hopefully the uh, the first place where you learn titles, covers, exact release window, all of that good stuff. Uh, Marion, I agree with Zach, by the way, that I'm getting a little tired of the Halloween decorations, uh, infamously among my family. When I was a kid, I led an extremely spiritual revolt against the decorations by shooting out the back of our extremely homeschool family minivan with my finger. We didn't do guns. We weren't that based with my finger at pumpkins. So now shooting <laughs> at pumpkins is a, is a Burnett family meme. Oh, I'm okay with pumpkins. It, it's, it's the, they, they it's the skeletons, it's the graveyards. Yeah. And my, okay. my younger kids are doing the finger guns thing too. So but. for me, I'm actually prepared to go at the other side of the bell curve meme and end up with the, the wise monk who concludes along with the, you know, redneck guy on the other end of the meme that Halloween decorations are of the devil. And here's why. I was driving by a house that had a yard full of psycho killer clowns, extremely vividly, <laughs> grotesquely detailed statues. But what two of them were doing to a small, terrified looking child doll, I will not describe oh, on the podcast. Yikes. It was disgusting. Uh, it was uh, making fun of suffering. And I'd just been listening to some news about a bunch of suffering and it hit me in all kinds of wrong ways. And it did just remind me. But although I'm not ready to be all legalistic against Halloween, like some, you know, it can be fun. It can be basically a celebration of stories and even scary stories for good reasons. But I think that that decoration existed for a bad reason. That was a snapshot of sin and horror 
bad kind and suffering that had no context other than itself. And I think that that may be how the devil operates sometimes. We're going to get to that in a moment uh, with Marion after a few concessions, of course. It is Halloween. We did go trick-or-treat in extremely wholesome Reformation costumes, so we brought in some candy to the studio. First, however, is our next sponsor, top sponsor, once again, Enclave Publishing, uh, the Child of Oasis Family Media, with their new release coming up in November. He rides a sea blood, a steed of salt and spray, born to challenge the tides. Six years ago, the wrong brother survived, and nothing will ever convince Rafi Titrani otherwise. But he is done running from his past and from the truth. As civil war threatens Caridwin's tenuous rule in Soldonia, Rafi vows to fight the usurper sitting on the imperial throne of Nadar, even if it means shouldering his brother's responsibilities as the Empire's lost heir. Enclave Escape presents Of Sea and Smoke, the Fireborn Epic Book 2 by Gillian Bronte Adams, an exciting young adult adventure. It's on sale November 21st, 2023. That's just next month, wherever great YA books are sold. And it's also available as an audiobook on CD from Amazon in digital format on Audible, Spotify, and through libraries everywhere. You can get that link uh, for that new book of Sea and Smoke in our show notes for episode 186. Or go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors for links to that and all our other sponsors in this episode. All right, riding around, saving a kingdom, all of that makes me a bit hungry for some candy. And uh, Tim Hawkins talked about the bad candy we need to avoid, but we have good candy here, not devilish imposters. Uh, I have one concession, actually. I imagine we'll make up some more. I would just say that we planned to invite Marion back for this uh, effective sequel to episode 177. That was the one we did about the Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling podcast, kind of analyzing uh, this uh, mini-series interviewing the Harry Potter author and her story, her tragic backstory, her political and social views, some of the controversial things that she said, uh, and some of the extremely uh, Christian-ish beliefs that she holds. And uh, Marion and I really wanted to get to something she said about whether or not she believes in magic and some of the podcast perspective on the old Salem Witch Trials. But we got to the end and thought, well, let's save that for another episode around Halloween. So this be it. Uh, we have other episodes, too, about whether or not you celebrate Halloween. Uh, go back a few episodes from here. and We'll talk about uh, noble dark horror, if you are interested in that a more general topic. And then in our last episode, uh, Zach and I talked about the scariest ghost stories of the Bible. So we do assume going into this that there is a place for scary stories for a right reason in Scripture, but not the kind of scary stories that glorify the devil. Some fear glorifies God. In fact, Scripture even says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the devil often appears as an angel of light, as the Apostle Paul warns, so he can look really shiny out there in that sparkly outfit. But then sometimes it really is true. He will just come along and he will look like psycho killer clowns torturing a child on your neighbor's front lawn, and then evil is obvious. But evil sometimes doesn't look so obvious when you're desperate, uh, when you go on social media looking for ways to define and control your existence. Uh, Marion's going to talk about uh, some of her research about that. Uh, Zach, you have any concessions? Well, just to say a little bit more about Halloween decorations, I usually like Halloween. My kids, we love getting dressed up, trick-or-treating, all that. And I'm even okay with some of the creepy decorations in general. But, you know, this year, my sister passed away. Just not really looking forward to seeing all that. We're probably not even going to go trick-or-treating. We are just going to go to a family member's house. So we'll, we'll see. But yeah, I, I think there was one in particular. It was like a cheerleader skeleton. I mean, my sister is a cheerleader. So I saw that. And I'm oh, like, geez, yeah, yeah, I'm just yeah. really. And you know, this is not to shame anyone. Like everyone's got their 
a different amount of tolerance for this sort of stuff. And maybe for some people that's therapeutic. I don't know, but I just personally have no interest in it at all this year. And, um, yeah, that's, that's where I'm coming from. We're, we're talking about obviously a much bigger topic with, uh, witchcraft and other kinds of things, but that's so connected with Halloween. It's, I'm just seeing it totally differently this year that it's less fun in games for me than it usually is. And it's more just feels very diabolical right now. So Marion, how does your research change your perception? If it has on Halloween, on decorations, creepy or whimsical, like any, any change for you there? Um, yes, a little bit. Yeah. I do think that seeing just, I, I mean, I, even before I started more of this in-depth research, I, I knew that the, that the occult was growing. Um, it's kind of hard to ignore. You walk into any, pretty much any shop or bookstore and you're going to find like books on witchcraft or new age or crystals, you know, it's all over the place. So it's pretty obvious that this is becoming um, a huge fad right now. I do think that, and I have noticed over the past few years that Halloween decorations are getting darker and creepier and more demonic. And I do not say that as someone who generally is like, you know, always thinking about the good old days. Like I say that to be like, wait, I don't think I've ever seen anything that dark, you know, when you're looking at somebody's yard. And it's like, that is truly like, I've seen real looking like heads on the, on like someone's spiked fence, you know, it's just so, so, um, and I made the mistake this year of walking into one of those spirit Halloween stores, not looking for anything associated with Halloween, just looking for something that I knew that they would happen to have for, for a different purpose. And wow, I am never going in one of those stores again. It was, it was some of the things that they had for sale were outright absolutely demonic and it was you just feel dirty and disgusting walking in and out yeah so this year we usually i do allow my children to dress up and go trick-or-treating and go to um, a house that looks safe um we don't normally go to the houses that look very creepy but i think this year we're probably just going to go to one of those church harvest festivals and they can <laughs> dress up i'm just like i'm i am like Drunk overwhelmed i'm a treat yeah reformation day <laughs> especially with all the demonic stuff i've been learning about i'm just like ooh, not this year you know not this year <laughs> well it's just i said too soon uh, when zach described the skeleton dressed up like a cheerleader and for you i'm guessing it's it's much more immediate uh, which i think a Previous Christians, you know, got to grant them the premise in some of their objections to Halloween. You know, a lot of them did come out of what they used to call the New Age movement, you know, capital letters. And some people who've grown up in a Christian background may remember all these scare tactics that their parents or that youth pastor that one time uh, said about uh, this or that thing being New Age. And therefore, they weren't allowed to watch the Saturday morning cartoon. So you may have a bit of a, a sour candy taste there when you hear somebody talking about Satan. But do recognize that Satan works in many different ways. He's got all kinds of balls in the air, the old devil. Uh, he can do an absolute overt movement, uh, like the, the creepy decorations that make you think about monsters without any context of the monster's defeat. And it's just so overt that you may as well be prancing around in the, in the, you know, the red rubber suit with the, with the pointy tail. But then at the same time, the devil most likely has a counter operation. You know, I, I think I may seed some false teaching in among the Christians, you know, to overreact against, oh, yes, that scary old devil. And then you end up in another kind of lesser, so it would seem, darkness of the sort of bondage that uh, enslaved the Galatian church and bewitched them from following through with grace, following through with the gospel in which Jesus has defeated the devils. But we cannot, as Christians, take the victory that we have in Christ 
and apply that to everybody else. There are people who will hurl themselves into demonic schemes, uh, which leads to our first chapter of this episode. Chapter one, let's know that Satan does use witchcraft to deceive people. That does happen, okay? There are other ways the devil works, as I mentioned, uh, abuse of authority, false teaching, uh, bad political movements. Yes, uh, the devil can walk and chew his uh, ridiculously spicy ghost pepper gum at the same time. I'm being a little flippant there, but I mean it. Uh, there are many different ways that Satan works. And right now we're focusing on this way that he works. And Marion, this really came out because when we were recording episode 177, you took issue with J.K. Rowling saying that she does not believe in magic, that she does not believe in magic. And even to some extent, uh, the very well-meaning, more classical liberal podcast hosts uh, talking about the Salem witch trials more favorably. They had a guest on speaking about how the Puritans back then were really well-read, uh, very scholarly, a very top legal minds that they had. So what in the world would have led them to think, well, maybe we actually have some real witches among us. And although you came to the conclusion, and, and so did I, rightly so, that, yeah, we don't burn witches these days. That's, that's barely something they did in the old covenant. We're, we're not there with the new covenant. And, you know, even Christian nationalists uh, shouldn't have that kind of policy uh, that they're lobbying for. But there is still a threat of not taking this seriously enough that there could be real people doing dangerous stuff like witchcraft. And there could be real dark magic out there that J.K. Rowling in her materialism, it seems, isn't aware of or afraid of. Yeah. So I think the first thing that we need to do is define materialism. Amen. And, you know, our society typically uses that term to mean people who care a lot about material possessions. And that is not how we are using that word. We're talking about the philosophical um, view of materialism, but I'm, which I'm pretty sure came out of the enlightenment, um, which is about, which is, which is to say only matter exists. There is no spiritual thing. There is no spirit. There is no God. God is spirit. So there is no God, you know, there. Um, so, so this, that's an extreme view. That's more of that atheistic kind of view. It's where um, my God is my science. Um, and if it's not um, natural, then it does not exist. So I think that, that JK Rowling has pretty much outed herself as a, as basically a materialist. Um, I think that she is not an atheist, so there's some sort of, um, I think she has even said herself, there is um, a struggle there for her spiritually to understand what the existence of God really means. And um, because she she is um, kind of, you know, battling, I think, within herself, the 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 materialism and the spiritual to, to really understand what that means. So that's a very confusing place to be. We were talking about acting materialism or, or acting like a materialist, like even someone who believes there is God that maybe somewhere back when they were a kid believed in miracles. And then maybe if they were in dire straits right now, they would pray for a miracle as if they believed in a God who acts supernaturally. But it is so tempting even for studied Christians to drift into acting materialism. And we'll talk about that next. Zach, I'm curious. Uh, this question just popped into my mind. But uh, speaking of the Salem witch trials, I, I do want to stop by there before we continue. But Zach, if you were on uh, the uh, the jury in Salem and, and they, they brought in the witch, and yes, I know, we're all thinking about the Monty Python skit. Okay, let's just put that one right out of our heads. Okay, this is serious stuff. You know, the rumors <laughs> are spreading. Our little community is going nuts. There are still you know, wolves and bears and you know, possibly hostile tribes out there. And 
you know, maybe we got a little too deep into the legal books as uh, very scholarly Puritans. And now suddenly there's all this emotional uproar and they bring in uh, this woman and they say, hey, Hazel here, everybody says that she's a witch. She tried to put a hex uh, on, uh, you know, Father Bruce down the road. Never mind. It's Protestants. They didn't say Father Bruce. Uh, if you're if you're the jury on the jury there, Zach, or you're the judge, like I'm curious, like what would you do? Uh, let me start rhetorical. Would you say sentence the witch to death? <laughs> uh, well, I don't know how I would act back then because, I mean, they had a much more supernatural view of the world, right? And so they seemed exactly. a lot more sensitive to it than we are now. Mm-hmm. I think we're always trying to explain things away. It's the air we breathe that there's got to be a scientific explanation for everything. So it's, it's almost hard for me, even as a Christian who's very much believes in the supernatural world, it's hard for me to know how I would act back then. I, you know, it's like we, we want to say of ourselves, oh, I, I would be so much more fair and balanced and, and whatever and judicious. But, you know, the problem is we have lost a lot of that sensitivity to what goes on. At the same time, I think you know, you would want at least some evidence or testimony or some kind of, you know, indication that someone really was involved with witchcraft. It wasn't just a public slander because, uh, you know, that's, that's always been a thing. Uh, that's, and that's why we have, you know, the fifth amendment and things like that. I I guess they didn't have it back then. Yeah. So you'd, you'd want at least an orderly process. I mean, this is even scripted out all the way back in Leviticus. Like it's nothing unique to American culture you'd have to have two or three witnesses to accuse someone or to convict someone rather. Perhaps the problem when you look back at Salem was not simply holding people to account for their witchcraft, assuming there was some, but having a very sloppy process for doing so, which basically was just the game mafia. <laughs> um, I was just going to say, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I think, um, that is typically how we think of the Salem witch trials is like, but how do you know? You know, and I think that historically, even there have been other witch trials in history that, you know, just kind of, you know, grab them, burn the witch, you know, without without that kind of due process. What was really interesting, though, was the historian they brought on to talk about the Salem witch trials specifically um, was saying that they actually did have that due process. They actually did um, really genuinely want to to um, not jump to conclusions about people. Um, and that was what was really fascinating about it was that they 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 said that the, at the end, it wasn't about the fact that they weren't educated. It wasn't about the fact that they didn't they didn't look into it deeply. It was the fact is about the fact that they were under a mass delusion that magic is real. Um, and I would say that they that obviously I completely disagree with that. I think there was no mass delusion. Um, if they really genuinely did their due diligence to figure out, is this person genuinely practicing magic? Then they probably were. The issue I take is that, um, we are no long, we are in, we are under a new covenant. And when I hear these stories, uh, like I said, I've been, I've been going down the YouTube rabbit hole and have listened to 75 testimonies now about people who are coming out of witchcraft or Buddhism or the new age or any kind of supernatural, whether it's witchcraft or diet witchcraft, um, then, you know, it's what, what is really amazing about their stories is not what they've experienced, but how Jesus has saved them and how they cling, how tightly they cling to the gospel. 
And so I would say that the Puritans, to have reacted by killing a witch, is um, is really very um, is completely missing the entire point of the gospel, and has and is just not living under the new covenant. And if you if you look back at Leviticus, there are many many things that are said that deserve the penalty of death that we do not punish. We do not you know, punish those things by death any longer. We are, we are, this is just not the way the world works anymore. So um, I would just say that, yeah, I, yeah that's really what I take issue with there. Yeah. And, well, and I, I think too, Salem was a unique time in history when it was a colony, like it was the frontier. There wasn't America back then, you know, this was before the constitution. This was uh, before, I mean, it was under British rule or whatever, but it would, Brit- Britain was so far away. and so. You can understand sort of the how the isolation of those communities drove some of the extreme responses to it, and and not not to excuse it, but just to understand the psychology of why they went to the death penalty. I I also don't agree with it, but I I think there is something that we can take away from this whole process. Like you said, Marion, the the review, if you will, of the Salem witch trials as well. They had a good process, but. They're under the mass delusion that magic is real. And no, the the reviewer who said that is under the mass delusion that it's not real, that there is no such thing as the spiritual world. Because what they got right is that witchcraft invites real demonic entities, not just into that person's life, but into the, the community that they live in. Demons never just, you know, leave everyone else alone. It, it's not quite like a virus. But demons want to take over territory. They want to take over a family. They want to take over neighbors. They want to ruin everything. I mean, steal, kill, and destroy is what Jesus told us. And we'll get into that in a little bit later with some of my own experience, you know, pre-Christ. But that is, I think, what we often miss in our culture is that this isn't some, you know, harmless individual practice. Uh, it, it's something very dangerous and deadly to everyone around you that that uh, participates in it. Yeah. It absolutely is. And yet even people who get into that stuff can repent and turn from it. Absolutely. In our last episode, uh, Zach and I were talking about the scariest ghost stories in the Bible, and one of them is about uh, King Saul, one of the most tragic figures in scripture, uh breaking down near the end of his life and uh visiting the medium of Endor, a surprisingly sympathetic side character in 1 Samuel 28. Uh, the narrative doesn't uh, praise her uh, by any means, but it doesn't condemn her either. And then she just sort of drops out of the narrative. And uh, one of my favorite fan theories there is that maybe this woman went off and rethought about her life choices. You know, there she is uh, pretending apparently to call up a dead spirit. And then lo and behold, freak out, thunderclap. Uh, the ghost of the prophet Samuel actually does appear and it actually is him. That seems to be the clear intent of the narrative. And she is as terrified as anybody uh, to see that the seance has gotten out of her control. Uh, I'm guessing, Marion, that some similar events figure into uh, the videos that you've been watching. Now, over 75 of these testimonials of folks who got into stuff that they ought not get into. And I'm guessing even though sin starts with the heart, a toxic mix of trauma and suffering and your own bad life choices and others' bad life choices, plus just the deadness and transgressions and sins like you have to want to get into this stuff but then you get into this stuff and you discover okay this is even darker than i thought i want out like what have you discovered 
from these testimonials that you have been uh, that you've been watching? Yeah, that's a great point. Like, you know, and as you say, like, you kind of have to want to get into it. I mean, yes and no. You know, as you said, like before, the devil disguises himself as an angel of light. So people not always, but people often get into, you know, the lightest bit of new age practices, maybe just a little bit of horoscopes, maybe just a little bit of law of attraction. If I just think positive things, then positive things will come to me. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Except it's just you dip your toe into the water and someone will come up and grab your foot and pull you down into this pit. And that is almost always what happens almost always is that you just you just think you're just going to just do a little skim off the top and um suddenly you have invited satan into your life and he now has more and more and more power over you and so i think what's really interesting to me um as i watch these they're called new age to jesus testimony videos on YouTube. There are hundreds of them. And what's really fascinating to me about them is that um, and why I choose to watch these rather than to just hear from practicing witches or new agers is because um, they are a lot more coherent about what they, why they got into it, how exactly they were deceived, what their motives were, whether they were good or bad, they are very, very self-aware once they have like encountered Jesus and, and um, embraced the gospel. And not only that, but it doesn't mess with my YouTube algorithm to only watch things about Jesus. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I, yeah. So I think um, what's really just been profound for me is to hear their stories, understand just the reality of the demonic um and the reality of the supernatural. And as you said, like when we look at scripture, you know, when we read that story of Saul and um, the media of him at Endor, like it, it does change the way I see that story now because I realize um, I, I hear so many um, repeated experiences of how Satan works. He is, he, he's not original. He does the same things over and over again. Um, and, and and I'm 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 able to see. I know I understand what's happening happening in this story now because I've studied the occult, and I actually think that all Christians should study to the occult to some degree. Um, not just because demons are real, but because the Old Testament, every single nation besides Israel in the Old Testament is a pagan nation, and that they have some kind of occult practices, and they have and they're involved with demons because there are demons behind their idols. And the occult is a huge, huge contextual needed context to understand the Old Testament. And when and I, I see it all the times when I look at commentaries um, when they're when they're trying to understand what's going on with Pharaoh and the magicians, when they're trying to understand what's going on with this medium at Endor, they have no context for what's going on. It's really unfortunate to see how wrong commentaries are on these sorts of things. You mentioned the magicians in Egypt, and I think there's this temptation where you think, oh, they were just performing the same miracles, quote unquote, with just bakery. Yeah, that's how the Prince of Egypt shows it. And I used to yeah. like that because, you know, right. the, the old animated series I grew up with, Superbook, like they actually do turn the staffs into snakes, even right. temporarily and even getting swallowed up. Yep. But the Prince of Egypt shows it as like a great big old Vegas floor show, which is kind of fun and it's a valid interpretation. but 
the narrative seems to convey that the magicians actually did manage to pull this off somehow. Yes, right. Yes. Cause I, yes. I think the mistake we often make is looking at the old Testament nations around Israel and thinking, Oh, only God is real. And none of these other spiritual things are real. Obviously an idol is nothing. As, as Paul said, an idol can't do anything, but there, like you said, there are spiritual forces behind idolatry. There were spiritual realities happening. We're not privy to very many of the details. We can infer a lot because there were fallen angels, whatever you want to call them, leading these nations astray and then battling with the real God. I mean, there, there is only one God. Like there's not a pantheon of gods, but there are other spiritual entities mm-hmm. at work. And I think at work today and the nations will we'll probably get into that in a couple chapters, but. Yeah, I think we we live in a much more supernatural world than we often realize. Well, that brings me to hell, because if we're talking about a supernatural world, that includes the world that God has prepared, the dimension, the wherever it is uh, for those who have rejected him and died in their sins. It's Halloween. We got to get some scary sponsors in there. And this sponsor is Brian Timothy Mitchell with his new novel, Almost Paradise. It's sequel to the award winning book, Infernal Fall. Daniel may have escaped the inferno, but hell has followed him home. The devils that stalk him may not know about his magical stone, which can send them back to hell. But unfortunately for Daniel, there isn't much power in slinging stones. Meanwhile, heartless Charles is torn between saving his friend and serving his master. If that wasn't enough trouble, an alluring spirit has ensnared him with her charms. Then there's Bo, who is ready to catch a bus bound for heaven, but first, he must discover why it's harder to fly than to fall. You can find out why in Almost Paradise by Brian Timothy Mitchell. It's released on Tuesday, October 24th, and you can get that link in our show notes for episode 186 or go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. Chapter two now, beware the old trap of acting like materialists. We're here already talking about how Christians, myself included sometimes, are tempted to be supernaturalists. We believe that God is real. Jesus is real. Jesus did real miracles. Yes, there is Satan. Yes, there is demons. But I think it's tempting to borrow from the gospel of C.S. Lewis and the Screwtape Letters who theorized uh, what Screwtape said that, yeah, back in the old days, we demons, Screwtape tells Wormwood, uh, used to be out and about acting like spooks and haunts and, you know, tormenting the witch doctor and, you know, sending people into convulsions. And Screwtape says, yeah, but we don't really do that anymore. Now our policy is to remain discreet. And Screwtape Letters is more about the emotional temptations, false teachings, uh, academic nonsense and such. Well, that was Lewis's world. And that was the world of a 1940s Britain. But I think even then, off in the corners, off in the shadows, the devil is up to the old tricks as well. He can walk and chew gum at the same time. So it's important for us Christians to uh, discern what kind of situation we're in, discern like why people, for example, are getting into this new age stuff. Marion, I did want to ask about the videos. Like, is there any commonality to the testimonies of people saying what I was desperate for or what I really wanted was X or does it kind of vary? But is there any commonality there? There are, it does vary. I mean, everyone's life is different, but I would say the commonality is the initial temptation to get into these things is most of the time trauma. There is trauma on some level to some degree. Um, It's often introduced to them. You know, a lot of people want to say, well, it's coming through fictional magic. I have found that to be um, extremely rare, not impossible, but extremely rare. Um, And most of the time they're introduced um, 
to to it through a close friend or family member. Um, sometimes the internet, but usually close friend or family. And um, and they are seeking healing. They're seeking something to fix the problems and the and the pain that they that they have in their lives. And and they will frequently um, say. I was looking for God and I was looking for him in all the wrong places. That's definitely like the draw to, uh, to, I can be my own God. I can fix my own problems. Um, if I just, if I just have this enlightenment, if I just have this secret knowledge, then, then I'll be able to, um, to, to, to feel better. You know, I'll feel satisfied. I'll be healed. And then they may feel temporary relief, um, but it doesn't last. It is very much the woman at the well who just keeps going back to that well every day because she's so thirsty and only Jesus gives that living water. Yeah, Marion, this is very similar to my own journey. So I've mentioned on the podcast a couple times before that I was ensnared in the occult for about six years, about three years before I became a Christian and even a few years after becoming a Christian. So this is my teenage years. And yeah, when I was in middle school, we went through a very traumatic season as a family. Um, and at the end of it, I no longer had a father and didn't want him in my life and for very awful reasons. And I felt very powerless as a kid. You know, here I am kind of the man of the house, the the oldest of two kids and having to take on a lot more responsibility and just not knowing what I was doing, very angry, very bitter, uh, wanting something to kind of fill that hole that was in my heart now. But I was also looking for some kind of meaning, like something that was in charge of the world. I had a friend who introduced me to some kind of new age practices, uh, but I pretty quickly zoomed ahead of him and got very deep into this stuff. And to the point where even he was like, whoa, you're really out there now. And, uh, and he said, look, not everything has a reason behind it. And I'm like, yes, it does. I'm, I'm convinced like there is a, you know, a, basically a supernatural world that is in charge of the material world. And even he really didn't believe in that, but I got into all kinds of practices basically. But I, I, you know, this was before the internet though, right? So I was limited to like a handful of books that I was able to, to get from bookstores or libraries. I just can't imagine if I had gone through that process with the internet. But there were other things like other avenues like Ouija boards or, and, and there was a connection with, with fiction, which we'll get into later. But yeah, if you can name one of these new age practices, I, I probably participated in it. The one that's the scariest to me is, is things like automatic handwriting, where basically I was, I was writing things or saying things. I don't know where those were coming from. To be honest, this is a little side note. This is why I kind of stay away from the Enneagram. Okay. Because <laughs> like, if you look into the origins of that, Automatic handwriting yeah, that makes bad, me folks. extremely uncomfortable. It's, so yeah. actually, it's actually a new age practice. Yeah, yeah it yeah. actually <laughs> very much, very much is a new age practice. And some of these have leaked into the church. There's even some automatic writing going on where you're getting messages from Jesus. That's another episode. Uh, Ooh, some Christians, I think, are tempted, and I frankly, I'd put myself here because whenever Zach and I are talking about Nephilim, for example, or aliens, my posture is to go for the natural explanation. Oh, you know, well, the government official said that he is spooked by this whole topic because of, you know, this human factor. And like, it's a good reminder to me that there are some spiritual influences here, uh, particularly among unbelievers. And yet Christians can also be affected if for no other reason than we often don't have a language to describe these things or we associate it with charismatic excess or spiritual warfare, false teaching where somebody's going out and they're making all their headcanon about exactly what powers the demons have. 
and they're going beyond what scripture says and collecting a bunch of anecdotes to put together. But I think the overcorrection temptation there uh, is to go in the direction of head arguments. And Marion, what you're describing of these people finding Jesus, and I want to go uh, get some of these videos myself, because I'll wager that I imagine some rationality helped, but a sermon alone, correct doctrine alone, won't fix this problem. Uh, it seems to me that someone uh, is not going to be influenced by just logical arguments, or some Christian comes along and says, well, they lack information. Uh, or even the Christian comes along and says, well, that is a sinner and they need to repent of this. Yes, absolutely true. But there's also a lot of trauma mixed up in there. People are chasing what they thought was the light. They're not just getting into darkness for darkness's own sake. Often they find themselves ensnared and they need a way out. Not just doctrine correctly proclaimed, you know, the gospel, which is propositional and grounded in real history, uh, but also that emotional resonance. Like you've got to sympathize with someone who was chasing after meaning and yet found it in all the wrong ways. At the same time, I think we need to be aware. Like it's not that, well, Christians can just fix the problem. If only we were nicer or wiser or less or more politically active, stronger or fitter, like with this type of person, there's other things going on there. And the only solution we have is the reminder of scripture that our chief struggle is not against mere flesh and blood. We do wage a spiritual war against dark powers beyond humanity. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, nonsense that's been read into that verse. Uh, Christians have some weird spiritual warfare techniques that may be another episode too, but it is nonetheless real. The battle is real, and I think the only solution we have starts with embracing the fact that our faith has a lot of weirdness in it, not just the scary ghost stories in the Bible, but also the fact that we do, we do worship a risen Lord, and we do believe that there are monsters. Like J.K. Rowling apparently doesn't believe there are monsters. You know, other people are very <laughs> rational and thoughtful. You know, uh, They wage legal battles and sociopolitical battles, and they, they don't think that monsters are anything other than a metaphor in stories. But if I look at a story like Dracula uh, or even uh, Harry Potter with Voldemort, like this represents a real monster to me. Like I actually do think that there are creatures out there that want to take advantage of human beings for reasons that scripture barely touches on. We can theorize about those, but we know that our victory is in Christ. And so we will eventually get to that victory, but, but a lot of people have not yet discovered uh, that victory and, and Christ's power over the demons for themselves. You know, I, I think it's so important to, um, to address the fact that as, as Christians lean more and more into that materialism, um, you know, accidentally sometimes to say, oh, magic isn't real, we end up completely ruining our witness to people who know that it is real and to these people. And, and as you were saying, Zach, like the internet exists now. Um, that is a huge reason why uh, we're seeing such an explosion of these ideas. And so we, we, we know, I'm sure that um, anyone listening here probably knows someone, whether they know it or not, who is involved somehow in the new age or in the occult. And, um, and we ruin our witness when we tell them, Hey, like those things that you feel that you're experiencing, those aren't real. You're just hallucinating. Like they, uh, Stephen Bancars said, you know, when, when Christians used to tell me I was just hallucinating all those things, I would think to myself, why on earth would I want to be a Christian when I understand more about the spiritual realm than you do? You're eating spiritual baby food and I'm over here and I've got it all figured out. 
Yeah. Um, and of course he, he converted, but I'm just, yeah, we have to absolutely, we have to appeal to their heart and to, um, to the fact that, that, that they need to know on a personal level that Jesus is real and that these demons are lying to them. And they, and frequently they say that they're drawn in because they're looking for truth. And that since they finally figured out that these, that the spiritual realm is real, that must be true. They don't, it doesn't enter their mind that they could be lied to, that they could be deceived by these real entities. Um, and there's a difference between, we have to, we have to, you know, tell them there's a difference between something that is real and something that is true. Yeah. I, I think a lot of this comes down to incomplete theology. So a lot of people like to uh, quote Colossians 2.15, where it says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them and him. And it's also, that's kind of a reference to John 12, 31. Now is the judgment of the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And that's Jesus speaking. Okay, so that's all true. Uh, Jesus has broken the power the devil had over us through our fear of death. Paul talks about that. But it's not until uh, Revelation 20, verse 10, where we see the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur. The devil is not in hell, y'all. Right. He he is alive and well, to quote a book that I have on my shelf. He is in the world now. He is he's disarmed. He's he's been downgraded, but he's still out. I mean, we look just look in Acts. There are demons like uh, we talked about in the last episode, Acts 19, where there were demons being cast out. That that was not a one and done thing. Not to get into the whole cessationism debate. But there, there's no evidence that all demons were completely exercised and cast into hell. No, it, it says in Revelation 20, that's when they're going to be thrown into hell. So they are active today. Now, maybe it takes a different form. Maybe they've changed their tactics. I think, I think they are doing a lot of the same things. And a lot of it is just teaching. But uh, yeah, I, I could tell you story after story from my experience in this, that world of the occult, unfortunately. Where I mean, the, I I can still remember the names of some of the demons that that these names came to mind. They're like seared into my memory. Mm. It's pretty frightening kind of stuff. And I had experiences with other people where there was clearly a demonic entity that other people could testify to. But I I don't think we just have to go on experiences or testimonies from other people. Just look at scripture. Like the devil has not been cast into the lake of sulfur yet. Right. And you know, I would like to say just. Um, about Colossians and that verse in Colossians, we have that Colossians is such a huge book for my study right now. Um, I think that, you know, we've got to look at the context. What is Paul talking about there? He's talking about the fact that the deity of Christ, why? Because the Colossians were worshiping angels and these angels, who are they? And they're giving them visions. It literally says they're giving them visions, these angels, and they're deceiving them. They're leading them away. Those are demons. They are disguised as angels of light. They are demons. They're giving visions. And, and, and that book also ties demonic influence to legalism, which was also part of the Colossian heresy. So we have to, it, it's just a profound, profound thing to see. Um, these are things that are still happening. It is absolutely still angel worship, which is demonic worship, is practiced today in the new age. You know, and and one of the it's very very interesting if you if anyone wants to look up Doreen Virtue, she was one of the 
um, leading New Age teachers. And um, her main thing was angel worship in the New Age. And she is now a practicing Christian, has been for the past few years, and um, is going around teaching about and realized I was a false teacher. And she is um, she's going around teaching about about heresy and all that now. And her story is just really, really fascinating. Um, but it just testifies to the fact that re- Satan really is just recycling. And while Satan is recycling and leading a uh, failing resistance movement on planet Earth, he is alive and well. He's disarmed. But man, he's got a lot of resistance fighters and not in the fun, happy, you know, uh, whimsical American kind of resistance. No, this is the bad kind of resistance against King Jesus. Find refuge in a castle. Uh, that's what the local church is for. That's what Christian community is for. And that's what our community, the Lorehaven Guild, is for. Sponsor three, our Castle in the Cloud is hosted on Discord, where you can join monthly book quests through the best Christian-made fantastical novels that we can find. We are finishing up now our quest through Koenig's Fire. Excuse me, Koenig's Fire. I corrected my pronunciation anyway, even though the author still says it uh, my old way. But our next book uh, harkens to another resistance movement. Remember, remember the 5th of November? I remember. And so did Nadine Brandis with her uh, fantastical retelling of Fox in 2018. We reviewed it back then. We liked it. Elijah David's going to lead a book quest into it. Guy Fox's 1605 gunpowder plot gets a color magical twist. Very interesting historical fantasy there, and we're going to enjoy it uh, through the month of November. So join by going to lorehaven.com slash subscribe, sign up for updates, and we will send you your exclusive invitation code to the guild. All right. Speaking of that fantastical world, Marion, we cannot end the show with despair uh, about the devil. He is a real threat. Nonetheless, uh, we do have hope against his wiles. We are not left without hope. Chapter three, help the devils pray, find hope in a broken world. As we explored in our Noble Dark episode, we do not resign ourselves to the darkness. The devil does have some power now. He's not been thrown into the lake of fire yet, as Zach said. But lo, his fate is sure. One little word shall fell him, said, oh, uh, Mr. Martin Luther, who we also celebrate on this day of Halloween. Uh, Marion, I think it helps uh, even in evangelism encounters or conversations with these folks who are deceived this way. The devil's miracles, you said, are parasitic. Uh, They're a ripoff of the genuine article. And we may be able to get some stuff in the show notes about the counterfeits uh, that the New Age movement has. Like every single one of these notions, you look at them and like, well, that's just a parody of reincarnation or resurrection. Uh, That's a parody on meditating on truth. Uh, that's a parody of what was he called it, Marion, the retribution principle about the yes. law of attraction messing yes. around with that. What's that yeah. one? Yeah, the retribution principle is um, you you sow what you re- you re- sorry you reap what you sow, which is a biblical idea um, was twisted um, by many people, the Pharisees being um, one of them, um, and really a lot of Jews. Um, uh, Job's friends would be another example of twisting the retribution principle. Um, but yeah, so you reap what you sow is, is, is an, is a concept that is not a promise. It's something that, you know, is encouraging you to work hard, to, um, to do, to do good deeds, to be a virtuous person. It's not a promise that you will always, that, that you will always, um, reap what you sow every single time, because we know that good people suffer or that sometimes bad people have good things come to them. So it's not a promise. Um, it's like, it's the same, the same principle that we use when we read Proverbs. But at the same time, we see in the law of attraction that if I, if I put positive thoughts out to the use into the universe, positive things will come to me. If I, if I, if I put out this, this idea that I want a new car, then I will get a new car. 
And, um, and, and a lot of people see, um, that that actually works for them sometimes it's because they say that satan wants you to think wants you to remain deceived and so so sometimes you put those things out and it actually might work because he's giving satan is giving you those things um so that you will stay away from christ so that you will stay away so that you will keep doing the law of attraction but it is the law of attraction actually is um just a distorted view of reaping what you sow um, so that's, yeah, absolutely. Anytime you see any kind of occult practice at all, it is going to be um, just a distortion of biblical truth. So that's a logical point that we can make if we're in conversations with folks. And I've seen people, by the way, young people, especially Marion, who have bought into this law of attraction thing. It's it's motivational posters. It's inspirational slogans. It sounds vaguely spiritual. You know, maybe grandma had a TV preacher on who talked in this language and it is insidious. It is gross. It focuses on the self and our perception of our own needs rather than on Christ and how he has fulfilled those needs. So the needs are real. The solutions are fake. And I think that can help us appeal to people both rationally and emotionally to say what you're looking for matters. Your need does matter and you matter and you've been through a lot of trauma, but you will not find the fulfillment of your hope here in this new age stuff and this occult stuff you've uh, watched on TikTok. Uh, You're only going to find it in the gospel, the gospel that convicts, uh, that warns us about sin, but that also comforts us. And then the promises made of Jesus, a bruised reed he will not break. Uh, Let's treat, I think, some of these folks like bruised reeds. And we haven't even talked about, maybe this is another sequel, Marion, because we got (laughs) to close out here. But we haven't even talked about uh, the fact that there's so much uh, sexualityism mixed up in this. You know, there's political activism, uh, sexual identity, like uh, the uh, occult stuff. It's all mixed in. You know, you're protesting at a school board can only go so far if this is a spiritually dark problem, you know, and you're not going to be able to really pass a law against that. Uh, The problem is at the human level and Satan hates human nature. He always has because it reminds him of God, God's own image in human beings. So the devil's only hope we can theorize is to mar human nature and to really stick it in God's eye. You know, see, you know, you may have taken me out and sent me to hell, but look how many of your representatives I took with me. I think that's probably a a worthwhile evangelical theory, although it's not in scripture, but it does help to know possibly the motive of the enemy. And it helps to know the truth behind the lie, uh, the original song behind the parody. But that's why we're talking about this here, Marion, and we'll continue to talk about it at Lorehaven, because this is the field of imagination. The devil appeals to people's imagination, a good gift of God, but it is not his. Uh, But we can't just fight that with logic and rationality alone. We also need to pray, pray hard for souls. It's a spiritual weapon along with the word of God. We got to pull it on the full armor of God, Ephesians 6, uh, to guard against the devil's wiles. And then we'll also be able to help uh, save our neighbors from this nastiness. Yeah, I want to say something here. There was a city council meeting in a neighboring city that one of my friends and coworkers went to, and they were debating, voting on some political issue. And there was a literal coven of witches that came to disrupt the meeting, I'm not uh, surprised. cast hexes on this one particular council member who was an, uh, you know, openly Christian. And uh, a, a lot of people didn't know how to react to that, but that is a real spiritual battle, y'all. <laughs> like The only way to get through that is seriously to pray. And look, I, I'm not going to go into detail, but I've, I've had some encounters in this past year with, with people I've had to speak up against. Come to find out they practice the occult. And there was one time where I could literally feel like this presence nearby. And I'm like, man, there is something really bad here. But on the other hand, I've seen prayers answered. 
in these same situations, I've seen decisions get made that made no human sense. And I know it's not from my persuasive abilities. It's not from my human rationale or logic. I've literally seen God change the minds of people uh, because he is stronger than the darkness. You know, Stephen, you talked about earlier how sermons aren't going to fix this problem. And we talked about well, well, sermons alone, they will yeah, help, alone. but Thank not you. just sermons alone. Yeah. But, you know, when you look at the, uh, when you look at that story that we talked about last time in Acts 19, where these people repented of their magical practices, well, why did they do that? Because they saw these demons be exercised at the name of Jesus. And what they latched onto was that Jesus is stronger than these spirits who I know, you know, that there is a higher power and I better give my loyalty and allegiance to him. Absolutely. Yeah. Marion, I wish we had more time, but I'm curious where folks can follow you, keep track of uh, any of the book news other than at lorehaven.com, of course. Uh, what are those links that you can give our faithful listeners? Um, I mostly hang out on Instagram, which is at M.A. Jacobs Writes. And um, I'm also on Twitter and Facebook, not quite as much. I also have a website. It's majacobs.com. All those links in the show notes. Well, Marion, we know you did not ride a broom into the studio. You just walked in like a normal person, but we are not <laughs> acting materialists here. The dark magic is out there, but I'm glad that you're on the side of Christ's light. So thanks for stopping by and we'll look forward to having you back to get more updates about the book. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Satan recycles. I'm sure I'm quoting that wrong, but yes, he does recycle his old tricks. Uh, we're not going to get into the whole environmentalism debate. I recycle. Don't worry, everyone. But, you know, as Marion said, the occult is growing. It is all over the place. Everywhere you look, it's, it's pretty staggering, especially in bookstores, which is a big focus of this podcast. Um, but, you know, we know that the light has overcome the darkness. And so we, we could talk all day about experiences we've all had. Uh, where the darkness seems to win. But what we want to ask you, our listener, for our comm station today, we want to ask you, where do you see the devil most active in the world? Do you have loved ones who are vulnerable to his wiles? But most importantly, how have you beheld Jesus win victories over Satan? So send us a note to podcast at lorehaven.com or tag us on social media. Look for Lorehaven. Uh, we'd love to hear how you have seen the darkness be overpowered by Jesus. We'll also be talking about this episode in the Lorehaven Guild, our castle in the cloud. Over at our mission update, you can subscribe free to get updates anytime we have a new article, a new Friday review at Lorehaven, or a new podcast episode, your choice. And you can also get that free invitation code to join the Lorehaven Guild just in time for our next November book quest for Nandide Brandis's novel, Fox. Our recent article at the site, uh, Jenneth uh, Dick came back and uh, was talking about how Disney might finally learn why it's failing. Really great piece over there. Uh, some optimism, despite some spiritual darkness and some of this nastiness that's getting into Disney, mostly in the political end of things and the sexualityism religion they're trying to stick in there. Uh, she's not just ranting about the woke Snow White. Uh, she has some, uh, I think, some wiser things to say and some cause for optimism that even a giant corporation may, like a practicing witch, learn to mend its ways. We also have a whole slew of reviews. Our last review was Steal Fire from the Gods, Robots Meet Elemental Magic by Clint Hall. That one's already out. And our next review coming up is for A Ranger's Guide to Glipwood Forest, a new fantasy book in the Wingfeather Saga spinoffs 
by Andrew Peterson. Uh, that review is coming out November 3rd if you're looking for it. Next on Fantastical Truth, well, speaking of whom, uh, behold the darkly whimsical world and wholesome family adventures of the Wing Feather Saga. This is a big one, folks. It is a four-book series and more books. It's a growing collection of newer titles, including the newly released title, Ranger's Guide to Glipwood Forest. And of course, it's an animated series on the Angel Studios streaming service. One season down, season two starts in spring of this year. Explore the mysterious lands of Air We Are with its many creatures to be fought, tamed, or trusted. Thanks to our next guest, singer-songwriter and fantastical storyteller Andrew Peterson on Fantastical Truth next week. Meanwhile, do look for the light. Sometimes you have to study the darkness, but I think it's better to do what Marion did to study those who are healing from this. Don't just chase after the folks who are lost in darkness and would like you to follow them. Look to the folks who have discovered Jesus, who have discovered the true meaning behind their vain pursuits of the devil's parodies of his truth. That's what we want to help you do through fiction and through nonfiction as we continue to seek and find Christ's fantastical truth. <laughs> <laughs>